I think it was Matt Chandler who, who made this statement. He said there are lots of different kinds of Christians today. There are some people that identify as Christian that aren't Christians at all. They were what we call cultural Christians. In other words, the United States, it is said to be a Christian nation. I have my serious doubts about that at this moment. But the truth is, uh, they are because by virtue of living in the U.S., they would say we are Christian. They are cultural Christians. They've never come to the cross, never repented, never a change in their life. And yet they call themselves Christians. They are cultural Christians. Number two, there's a second group of people. These are folks that got saved but never grew in their faith. They never began to grow. And we call them convenience Christians. These are men and women who have an escape route out of hell. They have come to the cross. They repented. They gave their hearts to Christ. But they never continued in the word. They never grew. They were never a part of any kind of process through which they could learn to become more like Jesus Christ. And I, I call these casual or convenience Christians. I'm glad they're saved. But boy, how ashamed they're going to be when they stand before God. Number three, there's the group I want to I want to challenge some of you toward this morning. And these are what we call the convictional Christians. They are believers based on the fact that God's Word says so. And what God's Word said, they believe. They are in the Word of God. And they have biblical convictions about their faith and beyond because they love God's Word. They're growing in their faith. They're maturing. I like to use this term too. In, in addition to convictional, they have convictions that they're, they're God's people from the Scriptures. But they also are cross-bearers. That's why we sing about it. You hear us talk about, even yes, God, you're faithful, even when things are hard. Even when we, hey, just walking through the congregation this morning, fellowshipping. Pastor, pray for us. Pray for this. Pray for this pain. Pray for this healing. And, and we will. But yet God is using all of that to bring glory to himself in some way that we'll see at a later time. But convictional Christians. I remember Pastor Cameron early in, this, uh, early in the year. Really, they hadn't been here very long. And he felt prompted of God to preach a, a, a little message or two on being a Daniel in a Babylon world. Does anybody remember that series? Amen. Being a, well, I guess you better believe it. You believe God can speak long time before something happens to prepare you for it. If you believe that, say amen. amen. And look, this is not something, we're not wild-eyed, uh, mysterious, mysterious people, but God does speak through His servants to the church. And Pastor Cameron preached to us on being a Daniel in a Babylon world. We didn't know what we would face. We didn't know what we would face uh, in this pandemic. We didn't know what we'd face politically. We had no idea what would happen in, in the world. And so looking at all of it together, we now know that uh, when he was preaching these things, God was preparing us for the moments that we would face. One of the messages, he made a statement about three things that were a metric. I think he used, I can't remember if that was the word he used or not. A metric for how to know you are, as a convictional Christian, you are growing in your faith right now. And he said there are three things that should be true of every growing Christian. Let me give them to you. Number one was worship. Worship. Now, I'm not talking about coming to a worship service. I'm talking about getting lost, like some of us did this morning, in the presence of God. And I got blessed watching Rosemary. I think they've already left, so I can talk about her. She's not here right now. But Thomas judged his little girl, Rosemary, and Tommy sit right there on that second row until Dad, who was in the early service, gets through ministry and song, and then they slip out. Uh, and I was watching her, and she was singing every word of that last choir song. And that, I could feel some arc off of her and hit me. It just blessed me like crazy. And I was worshiping God watching that little girl worship God. 
And what I want to say to you is worship must be a part of every growing believer's life. Not just at church, but at home, going down the road. I mean, stopping getting caught up in the awe and the wonder of God. Number one was worship. He said number two is discipleship. Some kind of a small group, a class, a study, one-on-one, -on -one, some ministry way. That you can grow in your faith. Look, if you're just all about worship and the experience of that, but you're not growing and you're not learning, there's an element of worship even in discipleship. So there must be discipleship. Let me challenge you while we're in this. If you'd got here a little early this morning, you would have seen groups meeting all over, and it was pretty encouraging to see they were bigger than they've been being on Wednesday nights. And soon we'll be back in regular some of those formats, but there are opportunities for you in discipleship. Number three, the third one is a natural flow out of those two. When you're worshiping and you're being discipled, number three is service. Service. And I'm not talking about just for, for each other. I'm talking about outside of these walls. Um, yesterday, just for an example, some of our friends and, and loved ones at, here in this ministry had the opportunity to serve at the commission and do some painting. I made some friends while I was there. Uh, I mean, it was, a, it was just a good opportunity to serve Jesus Christ. Uh, core groups, etc. So worship, discipleship, and service. I've heard it mentioned like this, and we're almost in the text. Don't worry. I forgot where we are. Uh, I haven't preached in four weeks. Good night. Give me a minute here. Um, but no, thinking about this, I've thought about my buddy Pat Finley in Kentucky. Here's what, here's what he calls it, worship plus two. Worship plus two. Will you evaluate right now your, your, uh, where you are as a growing Christian? Are you a convictional Christian? If you are, are you? what about these three things? Are you a part of worship, discipleship, and service? If you are, would you thank God for it? Don't stick your thumbs in your lapels and say, well, well, yes, Pastor, I am a man of God myself. I, I just, don't you respect me. Let's, let's be humble before God. But if you're not, maybe there's an area here you need to give attention to. And uh, I'll, do, I'll join you in that. You know, not only do we think about convictional and cultural and convenience Christians, but I wonder, are you one at all? I wonder if this morning in the worship service there's someone here that you're listening to all that thinking, well, hey, I don't fall in any of those categories, really. Because I've never repented of my sin, given my heart and life to Jesus Christ. Did you notice at the end of every one of those end time messages, there was a little hook? Did anybody else see the hook? Maybe you have to be a fisherman like me to see the little hook at the end. But he had a hook in every one of them. And here's where he, he came in for a landing. And here's what he said. Hey, look, you know, if you want to get caught away in the rapture, not left behind for the tribulation, why don't you come to Jesus? And he said, you know, if you want to live in the millennial reign, a thousand years, glorious years with Jesus, then why don't you come to Jesus? If you want to enjoy heaven in the eternal state, you see the hood, then why don't you come to Jesus? This morning I'm going to tell you the whole purpose we're here is to bring glory to him. And nothing brings glory to him anymore than to see a little boy or a girl or a mom or a daddy or a grandmom or a granddaddy repent and give their heart to Jesus Christ. You know what they told me when I got in from my last meeting? They said, hey, guess what? Becky got saved. And uh, Becky Kai, and they start telling me, you know, we're, we almost have a spell around that table on Monday mornings when we start sharing about the people coming to faith in Jesus. Hey, it's still a big deal to me. I'm never going to get over the fact God's still saving old sinners. If you're glad of it, say amen. amen. There used to be a song our choir would sing, I'm so glad God saves old sinners. You know that song? I'm thrilled and amazed how He sets them free, but the biggest surprise in redeeming old sinners is that he would save an old sinner like me. Woo. Now get in your text. It's time for the Bible a little bit. Uh, 13th chapter Romans. 
Let's pray. Father, oh, it's good to be home. I feel like I'm echoing what all the folks that have not been here in so long feel like when they say it feels like home. Homecoming to walk in the doors again. And Lord, this is because it's the closest we're going to get to being in heaven with you when we get together with the saints in the presence of the Lord in the church. Thank you that you're with us all the time. You're with us when we were quarantined. You're with us now. Lord, thank you for visiting this morning. Take up your abode in this place and speak through your people, through your servant. In Jesus' name, amen. Now what? In view of what we've heard over the last five weeks, I have a biblical exhortation for you this morning with just three simple action steps. Three action steps. And in introduction, let me show you in chapter 13, there are three main points, three main headings. The first one is leadership. It's in verses 1 through about verse 8. Leadership. I won't take time to read all of it, but I'm going to shock you for a moment and tell you the Bible says, let every soul be subject unto the higher powers. You say, well, that's the Lord. Yes, it. No, it's not. Not in this text. You know who he's talking about? The new president. Who is getting quiet in the church? He's talking about the governor. Governator. Mask-wearing rascal. I mean, I, look here. You say, who's he talking about? Look here. He says there is, remember this about the higher powers. Remember this about the president. Whoever's in office. There is no power, say it with me, but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. He goes further. I want you to look down to verse 4. And he says, he is a minister of God to thee for good. Look down a little further in that same verse. He beareth not the sword in vain, for he is the minister of God, uh, of, um, a, reven a revenger to execute wrath upon him to do a thief. He says it again a little further down. I can't see it right this minute. But he said he is three times, he says. He's a minister. Minister to God, for God. You know what minister means, just for the record? Um, servant. You know who's in charge? Did you know the president of the free world, United States? He's not in charge. Y'all do know that, don't you? Way over him. The, worst, the one that puts them up, the Bible says, and sets them down. His name is Jehovah God Almighty. Do you believe that? Amen. So if he's the one that's in charge, he places people in different, <laughs> in different places. Are you listening to me? I don't agree with everything. Oh, no. No, sir. Don't have to. I, I want to live a biblical worldview, don't you? I, let's stand on the Word. However, stand on truth. But listen carefully. When you disrespect and disregard people that God has allowed to be put in office, you don't have to say you agree with all of it. But the Bible says, let every soul be subject to the higher power. He makes it very clear here. You want to look at a little bit more of that? Look at it on your own time. I'm moving on. Look at the next subject. Not only leadership does he say something about, but he also says, number two, something about love. Beginning in verse 8. Owe no man anything but to love one another. He that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. For this thou shalt not, and he says about four of those commandments, thou shalt not commit adultery. Can I just stop there for a moment and say that you don't love the person that you're committing adultery with. If you ever commit adultery, don't say, I love him, I love her, that's a lie. If you love them, you would honor them, you'd honor God by honoring them. But instead, you don't love them when you commit adultery. You don't love their husband or their wife, the spouse they're married to. Oh, no. Don't say you love God and don't say you love them. We're talking about love here in the Bible. 
You don't love their children. You see, you're thinking about your own selfish desire. You love yourself. And so you don't love their children that are innocent and hurt because of your sin. I'm just, somebody says, you mad about that? Yeah, I'm mad about it. I'm mad that the devil plays him games and people follow it and just do it. Even people that are saved. You say, you can't be saved and commit adultery. Oh, heavens, yes, you can. There's some of them in the Bible that did. I tell you what you can't do. You can't get by with it without chastening. You can't love. You're not loving that person's church if you commit adultery with them. You're not loving that the, the, the brothers and the sisters that are hurt by it. Oh, no. Now, is there forgiveness for it? You better believe it. But if you think about heading down that path, may I just remind you that what's right is right and what's wrong is wrong and what's always been right still right and what's always been wrong still wrong. If it's ever wrong to do wrong, it's wrong to do wrong right now. Just remember that. Reminds me of that little story that they said R.G. Lee was preaching one day. Don't worry, I'm going to get in my text here in a minute. But he said he, he was preaching something totally different, and he just started preaching against liquor. And I mean, the whole rest of his message, 30 more minutes, and he quit. Didn't even get back in his text. And after service, somebody said, Dr. Lee, what happened? I mean, he's pastoring that big old church where Adrian Rogers was in Memphis, Bellevue. And I said, what in the world happened? He's, I said, he said, they said, how'd you get off track? And why would you? He said, as I was preaching, I looked out. Of course, after all these years, Pastor Pam, I've told these stories so many times now. They're so glad you're hearing new stories. They all know the story. They can finish the story. But I'm going to finish it anyway. He said, I looked out in the congregation, and a man was licking his lips like he might like liquor. And he said, I thought, I don't, I'm going to preach against liquor. And he preached against liquor the whole rest of the time. Had no idea that was anything to do with it. Can I tell you? Get ready. Here's a good place. God, through Christ, forgives our sins. Any of them, all of them, He washes them all away in the blood of Jesus Christ. He gives you a new chance. He pushes that reset button. Thank God for the forgiveness of sins. But He said, don't say you love somebody and then steal from them and commit adultery or any of the rest of it. Don't say you do. Because you don't. He's preaching about leadership and then about love. And then He said to the church, let's talk about living in the last days. How are we going to live in the last days? Are we going to sit around and be scared to death? Worried to death who's going to be the president and what they're going to enact and what's going to happen next and, and who's going to serve us? Are we going to worry about that? Are we going to lose all of our joy by just scared to death because there's a new strain to that virus and there's some more coming after that and I've already had two shots but I think I'm going to go get two more. I mean, I mean, listen to me. We going to live in fear and anxiety? It's your choice. He said, let me give you Beginning in verse 11, three little action steps for how we're going to live in the last days. Chapter 13, verse 11, and that knowing the time that now it is time to awake out of sleep. I think Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to see the church, see believers the way God sees us oftentimes, asleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believe. The word salvation there is speaking of the Lord taking us home. Our deliverance, our catching away. It's more, look, you say, well, how in the world? Now is our salvation nearer than when we believe? Paul was saying that. He thought we're nearer. It was nearer. And now, I believed back years ago, 1972, I'm a whole lot nearer to the Lord's coming now than I was. Well, I don't know exactly when He's coming. I believe He's coming soon. You say, well, what, what makes you think that? Well, I've got a thought here. Number one, I want you to notice, if, if you look at verse 11, if you're taking notes, three action steps, action step number one. Watch expectantly. 
Watch expectantly. I wonder if some of you woke up this morning and said, Lord, is this going to be the day that you come? Are, are you going to come today? Are you coming? Is this going to be the day you're going to catch us away and take us to heaven? Pastor Cameron made it so real to us. We saw heaven so clear. Lord, is this the day you're going to come? I wonder tomorrow when you get up. I'm going to challenge some of you. When you step outside the door or even look up from inside, Lord, is this going to be the day that you're going to come and get your children? We're to watch expectantly. It's time to wake out of sleep. You say, Pastor, what makes you think that we're any nearer? Well, I'm glad you asked that. I, I did a little research, and here's what I found. The believer needs to watch vigilantly for the coming of the Lord as it draws near. We can almost hear the footfall. No, that ain't it, is it? There it is right there. Well, good. Look at this. Take, for example, look at these. These are some things happening right now and recently and, and previously. The return of Israel to the promised land. The status of Jerusalem. Are you watching it and listening for it in the news in the evenings? The rise of Russia and the espousal of the Arab cause. <coughs> the spread of atheistic ideologies. The drawing together of the European powers, the European nations. The apostasy of the professing Protestant church. The drawing, the, the coldness in the church. The rapid growing influence of Rome and the modern ecumenical trends, the rapid strides of science and technology, and it's more and more all the time. The unleashing of nuclear power and all the talk about Korea and everything else, the awakening of China, the impasse among the nations, the growing empire of syndicated crime, and the general lawlessness, the lawlessness, I'm going to say that right if I have to say it three times, lawlessness of mankind in general. Look, listen to me. Jesus is coming again. And we need to watch expectantly. But not only that, I would read Matthew 24 where he said, Watch, watch, watch. Matthew 24, write it down. You can read it later. Verse 42 to 44. But number two, there's a second thing we must do. I must hurry. We need to watch expectantly. But number two, we need to war. We need to war effectively. Look at verse 12. Verse 12, the night, Romans 13, 12, is far spent. The day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. War, effectively. Do y'all remember when Bob Matthews came to the platform with that spear and he banged it on there? Everybody thought, that man's lost his mind <laughs> bringing a spear in the church. And he told the story and gave the illustration. Did you know something? We think that this is somehow a little playground time. That we've been saved just to have fun and go on vacation and spend money and buy a bigger car with more taillights on it than the next door neighbor's got. We think life is about our pleasure. When in reality, when you got saved, you're like the, and we got some of them in our church, you're like the Navy SEALs. Or you're like the Green Beret. You were dropped in behind enemy lines. You're in a, an unkind territory, and there's danger. And the enemy is in charge, Satan, the prince of the power of the air. He is presiding over much of what happens in this land, and yet we're saved. He's sanctifying us. We have the Holy Ghost to fill us. And look, we don't have to be afraid, but in this moment, I want you to know we are warring a warfare. We are in war, y'all. Now we're victorious in it. How many of you know we, the captain lives in us and he's already won this thing? Amen. That's a fact. 
But yet we're in wartime. So what are we going to do in war? Let's look at that verse 12 one more time. The Bible says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. He said, hey, this is coming close. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness. What does that mean, cast off, put off? This has to do with the identity marks of the sins of our past. Look here. The Lord forgave us. I love that song the choir sings, Jesus buried my past. It's true. He don't remember them against you. Then why are you going back? We're supposed to put them off. Don't go back and dabble in them again. Don't pick them back up again. That was the way you lived as an unbeliever. In wartime, we need to put off the garments of darkness. You wouldn't go down to Fort Bragg or Pope Air Force Base where some of our men and, and women serve and be asked to come and fall in with your tennis shoes on and a t-shirt and shorts. No, you've got your fatigues on. You've got your uniform on. Uh, you must be prepared as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. Put off. Did you see it? Put off the works of darkness. And then he said this. I love this. Do you see it? Put on. Put on the armor of light. We're not children of the dark. We're not children of the night anymore. We're children of the day. Put on the armor of light. Well, Pastor, what's that got to say? Well, what's, what does that little armor word remind you of? When you're coming to battle, don't you think it'd be a good idea in the darkness of this world to have your armor on? I won't ask you how many of you this morning, even before going out the door, I challenge you about it. I promise you one thing. There's some young men of God in this church. We're training some. that We're pounding this into their head all the time. Put on your armor every day. You say, well, I already put it on when I got Jesus. Yeah, then remind yourself of it every day. Whatever you need to do, remember, I got a helmet of salvation on me. When the devil comes and says, hey, you're not saved, you're a liar, I'm saved, I got my helmet of salvation. I got a breastplate of righteousness on me. You mess up, the devil says, see, I told you, you weren't saved. Well, hey, it wasn't about my righteousness anyway. I'm robed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ with a breastplate. I got the girdle of truth on me. Imagine that's not even a good thought, a girdle. But a girdle with truth. I'm girded about with truth. That's why I study the Bible. That's why I love the Word of God. That's why I memorize. Listen to me. I'm girded about with truth. My feet have the armor also. They're shod. My, I got shoes on. You can't see it right now. But they're shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. You know what? When so many people were troubled and worried and we were ministering to so many that were struggling, I was wondering, why didn't they put their shoes on this morning? Why wouldn't you put your peace shoes on? And you know what happens when you got your peace shoes on? You get to have peace. And then wherever you go, you get to take peace. I went this week to the hospital. They're opening the doors for pastors again now in some settings. And I saw a man very terminal that was a part of this church for lots of years. And do you know what happens when you walk in and you bring the Word of God, you bring the Spirit of God, and you bring your peace shoes? When I left out of that room, I left a little peace there when I went. As I was leaving, I looked out the corner of my eye and I saw your brother, Jane, sitting in an adjacent room. And I couldn't go in because I had my bracelet on for that one visit, but I stood there in the door for five minutes and had a word of encouragement for him. What happens? I'll tell you what happens. Those shoes of peace, the Lord's peace, not mine, that's his armor. And then, and then remember what he said, having the shield of faith. I believe God for every bit of this. I think when I go out the door, I got that armor on. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. This morning I get to stand here and wield a sword that cuts coming and cuts going. It's a two-edged sword. And this morning, thank God, the teachers got to teach it. And we got to share it. And I get to preach it. And we get to apply it. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And then finally, praying all. With all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Hey, put on that armor of light. You're children of the light. Put it on today. Put it on tomorrow. Put it on every day. And war effectively. 
Who's my enemy? I'll tell you who it's not. Not the politician. Not your neighbors. Not the liberals. Not the homosexuals. Oh, no. Be careful. We wrestle not. No, this Against flesh and blood. Boy, that's enough said. But against principalities, powers, the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. I'll tell you who our enemy is. It's Satan. Not people. They're being influenced by him. They need hope. They need help. And Jesus can provide that help. If you believe that, say amen. amen. Well, let me move to my third point. We may well be coming into the most challenging days we've ever lived in as believers. That's why we need to be Daniels in a Babylon world. That's why we need to know prophetically where we are that we're so near the coming of the Lord. Put on our armor of light and be ready for battle. But number three, not only must we watch expectantly and war effectively, but finally, we must walk excellently. With excellence, we must walk. Look at verse 13. Let us walk honestly, or becomingly is what that word carries the idea of. As in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying. Paul said, as the Holy Spirit inspires him to this church, he said, you need to walk with excellence. You know, when I read about this and read those sins, it's like he's saying, I want to talk to you about your outward life. The church's outward life. Did you know your friends and the people you work with can't see your inward life? But they hear your words. Your unkind words. Your critical words. Your judgmental words. They hear them. But they don't see your inward life. But you know what? Our outward life is a manifestation of our inward life. I don't remember who it was, so if you're here this morning, don't get mad at me. But I do remember people hide. You can't hide some things. Some things you can hide. You know, people say a bad word, and they say, oh, preacher, I'm sorry I said it. And I, I don't know where that came from. Well, sure you do. It was down in there. It was down in that well. It come up in the bucket. But I come up on somebody maybe 20 years ago, make the visit. And look, you know, I, I don't... I preach against uh, things, and I, but I preach for Jesus more than I preach against things. But that man didn't want me to know he smoked. And he had one right here. And I walked up, and he did just like that right there, right in his pocket. Held his hand, and I kind of round it. And I've got a little meanness in me, just a little. Instead of saying, hey, good to see you, brother, move on, I just stood there. Hello, friend. How's everything going? How's your wife? How's your young? Your mama? I mean, I just kept talking. Finally, he said, oh, I'm sorry, Pastor. I, I didn't want you to know this, but I said, oh, I saw it, man. And we both had a good laugh about it after it was over with. But see, here's the deal. People want to live an outward life and not have the reality of the inward life. I'm telling you, listen to me. Paul said, I got some things to say to you about your outward life. Watch this. He said, I want you to live honestly, becomingly as a Christian. Live above reproach because Jesus is coming soon. Remember, that's where he started in verse 11. Then Paul, through the Holy Ghost, lists some sins that were previously in the lives of his pagan converts. These are not to creep back in. We're not to go back and pick them up again. And so he just said, let me remind you of some things. I'll just tell you some things that were current back in the Bible days. Because he knew the potential of every believer 
dabbling back in our sin. It could happen to me. It could happen to you. So he lists some things. He first says rioting. You know what rioting means? Public disorder or violence. Some people just naturally want to fight. They love to fight. Let me tell you something. Check up and see if you got saved if you just like to stir up something all the time. You're either very carnal as a Christian or you never got it. Uh, I'm just telling you, this rioting is not something becoming of a child of God. I told him in the early service. I said when I came here, Pastor Cameron, we was in the storefront building. I said, look, we're not going to fight here. I've been in churches where they had big arguments and the business meetings about coming to blows. Hey, there's a church. I told you about it this week <clears throat> where a pastor's wife was smacked. It's a true story. By a deacon's wife in a meeting on a night. I'm talking about within 30 miles of this church. And everything got echoed all through the church. I mean, everybody in the town knew it. Did you hear about so-and-so smacking that uh, pastor's wife over at the church? That church? Yes. And about a week or two later, they called and said, Brother Wagner, will you help us? Rec will you recommend someone? I said, no. Not if you're going <laughs> to smack their wives. <laughs> well, how did you know about that? I said, everybody knows about it. That's rioting. You know what we said we'd do? You know why we don't have a lot of conflict in our public meetings? If you ever have a problem or have an issue, you come in. Our doors are open all the time. But in the public meetings, we don't have conflict. We don't have rioting. You know why? Because we got bouncers here. <laughs> we would ask you kindly, please, brother, sister, let's meet tomorrow about this. But if you keep on talking, we're going to have a couple big old boys, i.e. the two that are standing back at the door right now, to come and gently guide you to the nearest exit. In love, of course. You say, you really mean that? Of course we do. Because people don't want to come where there's a bunch of conflict all the time. And Jesus is not pleased when there's a bunch of conflict. Some of you have been in those business meetings, haven't you? And you don't want to be in them no more. And I'm telling you, that's not something we've done, Pastor Cameron. Part of the sweet um, uh, kind of the environment of this church. Number one, rioting. Number two, uh, drunkenness. <clears throat> Pastor Tom, what are you talking about? Well, you know I believe it's best to never let one drop hit your tongue. If you never do, you won't ever have to worry about being drunk. Well, I think that scripture means you don't drink it in excess. And uh, therefore, uh, I can drink it, but I don't, I'm not supposed to get drunk. And I would say to you, how about your testimony? And i got a lot more to say about that, but I ain't preaching on that right now. Unless I saw R.G. Lee and I could just go right on. But I, but I won't. But I won't. But you know what the word intoxicated means here? It's when your brain or your body is not working naturally and normally. And that's what happens. We become controlled. That's why he said, be not drunk with wine where it is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. What happens is we're controlled by strong drink. Rioting, drunkenness. Look at the next one. Chambering. I had to look this one up. It carries the idea of lewd, immodest behavior. Words coming out that should never be spoken. Actions and deed and clothing or lack thereof. Not becoming a child of the light, but of the darkness. And then wantonness. Look at this. Unrestrained life. A life without restraint. Boy, that's a sad life, isn't it? Boy, when the Spirit of God comes, He is the restrainer of those sins. And He helps us. And then He goes on. He mentions a couple of others here. He says wantonness and not in strife, not in envying. We all know what that is. Listen, if you find yourself engaged in any of this, be sure you're saved, number one. And number two, if you are saved, repent. Repent. Put on the armor of light. And put, on, put off the old darkness and start living in the light of the glory of God. Let me close by asking the question of God. Lord, have you given us a tall order? 
How, we're going to watch, well, you want us to watch expectantly you do, God? Believing that we're near the end? Yes. You want us to war effectively? Yes. Yes, I do. You want us to walk excellently? Yes. Well, how are we going to do that, Lord? Look at that last verse, verse 14. Here's how. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ. And make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. How are you going to do it? You can't by yourself. But you put on Jesus. Oh, listen, I remember a song we used to sing when I was at camp. The best thing in my life I ever did do. Terrible English. Oh, the best thing in my life I ever did do. The best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. Well, the old robe was tattered, all weary and worn. And the new robe was spotless, had never been worn. Yes, the best thing in my life I ever did do was take off the old robe and put on the new. Look here, when you got saved, several things happened to you. I can't unpack it all. I just want to tell you, you put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That means you're in Him. If you've got Him on you, that means you're in Him. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Remember what he said in John 17? That they all may be one. Even as thou, Father, Jesus is talking, art in me and I in thee. That they all may be one in us. We're in Jesus. He's in us. He lives this life through us. We can't do it. You can't do it. If you're struggling with it, quit struggling. If you're trying really hard, stop it. And just let go and let God surrender him, your life. Let him do it through you. I'm going to tell you, some of you are struggling. Oh, you're struggling. I can see it with some of this. Let go and let God do it. It is, boy, watching and warring. That sounds hard, Pastor. Yeah, it's hard when you try to do it. On Wednesday night, I saw a little girl back there taking notes. She's in the service today. Then after the service, a teenager walked up to me and said, Pastor, there's a couple more things about ways to win people to Jesus. You said if we had any ideas, not just the Paul intellectual approach and the Peter uh, confrontational approach, but how about the Jesus relational approach and the Daniel salt and light approach? I'm writing them down, adding them to my message. A teenage boy in this church who's in this service talking to his teacher at school in his, in, his, in his school about what God said to him on Wednesday night. Talking to his mom and dad. Look here, I'm talking about walking as children of the light, not of the dark. You know, if you and I are serious about this and we'll let Jesus do it through us, he'll do it. But we have to let go. Let God have his way. Now what? What are we going to do with this truth? Father, thank you for your spirit. You're so faithful, Lord, to speak your truth to your people. I ask you to help this truth go deep and find a lodging place in every heart. And I pray as the song is played in just a moment, we'll do inventory as to whether we are a Christian at all. And if not, may someone turn to you in faith and cry out for repentance this morning. Please forgive me, Lord. I'm a sinner and I need a sinner.
Or maybe there's some cultural Christians here. Or some convenience ones. Lord, I pray you give us a church full of convictional, cross-bearing believers that will walk as children of the light in these last days.